And now some of you guys may be wondering, are we going to be in the book of Revelation today? That's the, the sermon series we've been on, and I said no to that. Adam's like, hey, do whatever you want. And I'm like, all right, that's your beast to tackle. You could try to preach through that book in seven months. I got my own challenge this morning. So where he's taking seven months to preach through the book of Revelation, I'm going to try to preach through the majority of 1 John in one Sunday morning. And so you guys maybe say that's a difficult task, or hey, compared to seven months of Revelation, I'd rather spend one Sunday in 1 John because, man, that's some tough stuff. But I'm glad we have a pastor who doesn't shy away from all of scripture, that he's willing to, to dive into it, really teach the truth, and I'm just, that's one of the things I really love about him and his passion for God and his word. So like I alluded to, we're going to be in the book of 1 John this morning, so if you guys want to go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1, that's what we'll be kicking off this morning, 1 John chapter 1. And as you guys are flipping over in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1, I want to share something with you guys. In the year 1916, Robert Frost would go on to pen what is probably one of the most well-known poems of the modern era, which is The Road Not Taken. And I believe most of us are familiar with the ending tagline of his poem, which says, Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Now, I know as I, I read that and recite that, some of you are having nightmarish flashbacks to your high school English classes, no matter how long ago that may have been, because we all have those nightmares still. I was in the marching band at Broken Arrow, and I still have nightmares of the gawk block and the metronome going on. So I know when we think back to some of these classes and things, we have those nightmares. But the reason I bring this up is because the meaning we find within this poem. You see, literary analysis is one of my favorite things to do. I love studying things to see what the meaning lies in the words authors use. And so as Robert Frost sets the stage, there's this yellow wooded autumn time that he's walking through and a road he's on and there's a fork in the path. You see, the road represents the life we're living and the fork in front of him is two different choices he has to choose to live by. One path that seems many travelers have gone down and one that is the road less taken that he goes on to say, and I took that road and that's made all the difference for me. And so we see the road represents our life and the two paths are the different choices we have to make of which path we're going to walk in this life. And this idea of, of life being a walk and a path isn't exclusive to the work of Robert Frost, but it's used all throughout English literature and throughout different cultures that we've seen throughout human history. And the Bible is no exception to this. Several times throughout God's word, we see that we're called to walk a certain way or to live our lives in a certain direction that follows in step with our Lord and our Savior in accordance to his word and what he would have us do and to have us lift after and so just as there's a fork path in the poem Robert Frost talks about, there's a fork path in front of all of us. And there's two paths we have the choice to follow. One being the road that God would have us take, and the other being in the opposite direction of his will in following after this world. So if we know there's two paths, one of two paths that we're on, how can we ensure that we're on the path God would have us on? How can we know we're following after him and his will and we're on that road that will make all the difference for us? Fortunately for us, the book of 1 John helps to reveal this path and what it looks like so we can check our surroundings to see if we're on, going the right direction and if we're walking on that correct path. 
So let's go ahead and dive into 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. And God's word says this in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let me pray for us and we'll dive into what this has for us this morning. Dear Holy Father, God, I just want to thank you for this opportunity you've given us to, to gather into this place and to get to worship you and lift high your name, that truth of those several names we can know you as and all the identities that you have throughout Scripture that point to your nature, your character, and the fullness of who you are. The fact that, that death has been arrested and we can now have true life in you through the, that precious blood, Jesus, that spilt, you spilt for us. Now we can have life and life to the fullest through that. And Father, I pray as we dive into your word this morning, we'd see that it truly is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it would cut into our lives and remove the pieces that are not in line with who you would have us to be. And you would shape us to be more in the character of the men and women you would call us to be. God, I pray that you'd give me the words to speak, that those who have ears in this place would listen. And God, that you would truly move in our midst this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. And it's your son's name that we pray. Amen. So before we dive into what this passage has for us and start to apply pieces for our own lives, I want to look at some context so we kind of understand what's really happening within this letter John wrote. And I always have to clarify that for the students. There's the gospel according to John, and then there's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. They get a little confused, but we see there's the gospel, which is the life account of Jesus. And here we have one of his three epistles that he wrote to a group of churches. And the reason he wrote this letter is because there was a plague that had infiltrated the congregation of several of the early church. And that was a plague full of false doctrine, false ideology, and false beliefs about who God was, especially regarding to the character, nature, divinity, and personhood of Jesus Christ. Like we've been talking about looking through the book of Revelation, there were some churches who had left behind the true gospel of Jesus Christ and believing false ideologies mixed in with worldviews and beliefs. And that was no different from what John was writing here in 1 John. And so he wrote this letter to remind them, hey, here, who is, here is who Jesus is, the true Son of God and the Son of Man, being both divine and human in nature. That his blood is the only means of our salvation. So it talks about his supremacy and his fulfillment for our sufficiency in our lives but also the means of how we are called to live in the reality that if we claim to be a follower of his, here's how our lives should look. And he's calling them to get back on track to the correct path because they've diverted from the correct way in which God would have them to walk into a false walk in life that was leading them away from him and the truth of the gospel. And that's where we find ourselves in 1 John chapter 1. 
And just as I've said, John makes it very clear here that there are two paths in life that we are walking on, and we see that we're either walking in darkness or we're walking in light. That we're either walking in the path of darkness or in the path of light, and there is no in-between, and there is no exception to this reality. We are all on one of these two paths going one of these different directions. And now John lays out here that if we claim to be a follower of Jesus, we should desire to walk this path of light because it's the path that leads us to a walk with God, and that is something the path of darkness cannot do. John makes it plain that this reality for us in verse 5 by saying, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. As well in verse 7 by saying, in the way he urges his audience to walk with God as he is in the light. So be in the light as he is in the light. In addition to that, John tells us that this path of darkness is marked by lies and deceit, whereas the path of light is marked by truth. He says that darkness brings isolation while the light brings true fellowship in Christ. He writes that the way of darkness is covered by the stain of sin, but the path of light is covered by the salvation that was bought for us by Jesus Christ. And with all that should be very evident to us as his modern day audience as well, that when we desire to walk in the light, that is the correct desire that should be on our heart. But the question is how? If that's what we want to do, if that's what we want to go after, how do we ensure we're walking this correct path and make sure we're in line with what God would call us to do? Is it just something that happens when we place our faith in Christ and we call ourselves a Christian and automatically we're on that correct path? Well, we find the answer to that in the fact that we refer to this life as a walk and not a sit. You see, if we were to call life a sit, it'd be nothing than sitting back in your lazy boy recliner, kicking up the feet rest, having your cold soda or water in hand, and just waiting for God to come back or to take us home. But in the reality that it's called a walk means there needs to be action, there needs to be movement, there needs to be a forward progression that we're working towards. And so with the fact that it's not called a sit but a walk shows that we need to be in motion and put in action for this. And we find two themes throughout the rest of this epistle that John wrote that showcase to us the two ways in which we are to walk if we want to walk in the light. And we find the first one in 1 John 2, verses 1 through 6, which says, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have, we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps the word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way he walked. So it's in these verses here that John lays out for us the first way if we want to make sure we're walking that, that chosen path God has for us and walking the light. And that's, we see if we want to walk in the light, we must walk according to the Lord's commandments. That if we want to follow after God and his will for our lives, we must walk according to the Lord's commandments. 
And this should make sense, right? If we want to follow after God, he's giving us the, the directions in which to do so. It's like when you're playing Simon Says with your kids, grandkids, uh, nephews, nieces. They need to follow the directions if they want to win the game. In the same vein, if we want to be a law-abiding citizen of these United States, they clearly lay out the laws in which we need to live, and we follow those if we want to carry that title, being that law-abiding citizen. So it makes sense. If we want to follow after him, he gives us the directions in which to do so. So if we follow that, we're in walking with him. And this truth reminds me of a story. Uh, last summer, my family and I, we went on a vacation to Yellowstone National Park, which is some beautiful country if you've never been there before. And as we were walking around, we went to go visit some of the geysers and mud pots and things like that. And if you've never been, they have these boardwalks for you to walk along to view these beautiful bodies of water and these crazy smelling sulfur pits that I don't know why people want to see those. But the geysers, they're beautiful. They're awesome. And as we're walking the boardwalk, my, my little sister's fiance notices something in the distance that he wants to go see. So he starts to step off the boardwalk and immediately all of us are like, John, what are you doing? He's like, there's this thing over there. I want to go see that. It's like, you can't do this. And the ironic thing right next to him as he stepped off the boardwalk was a sign showcasing why you shouldn't do that. And it shows this picture of a child stepping off the boardwalk, falling into a hidden geyser under the ground. Because the ground around these geysers was fragile and you don't know where one that may be hidden underneath the ground around them. Now, the unfortunate thing is many times as Christians, we live our lives in the same way. There's a path God has laid out for us, but the allure of some temptation or some sin catches our eyes and we're weak. Instead of going to God's word to determine if it's a good and right thing to go after, we allow the inclination of our heart to drag us towards it. And once we step off that path God has for us into that temptation, before we know it, we fall right into that sin and back into that darkness that has separated us from God. And that's why God's given us his word to live by, guys. He has a specific way in which he wants us to live as his people, not to make us prisoners or a captive to himself, because we see in 1 John 5, 3, that he tells us his commandments are not burdensome for us. And so we see in that reality, the reason God gives us this path in which to walk is to keep us safe and to keep us away from the sin that tarnished our relationship with him in the first place. He's bought our salvation back for us, so why would he want us to fall back into that very thing that caused the separation and divide between us and him in the first place? But what if we do mess up? What if we do step off that path at times and we do fall into that sin? Well, first off, you need to understand you're not alone in that fact. That happens to all of us. I'm not excluded from that fact. Brian, Seth, Adam, none of us are excluded from that fact. And we all have times where we step off that boardwalk and into that fragile ground and fall into that sin. But just like John tells us back in chapter 1 that we saw that if we say that we do not have sin, we make ourselves out to be a liar. And God as well, because his word tells us there will be times where we will be tempted and because of our weak, frail humanity, we will give into it. So understand you're not alone in that fact and we're not saying that here. 
But the second thing you need to understand is that even if it does happen, there's a hand extended out to you to help pull you out of that pit and get you back on the right path because we see throughout the entirety of 1 John, and not just that, but throughout the entirety of Scripture that God is gracious to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we're willing to confess our sins to him. That we shouldn't hide these things from him because he already knows. And if we confess them to him, he's willing to forgive us, get us out of that pit, and get us back on track with the way we were going. So even if we fall short in this area, God is willing to rescue us still in his grace and his mercy are made new for us each and every single day. And he's willing to help us to get back into that light and walk according to his word, which in turn helps us to keep walking that path. And keep walking with him. So if this is the first way we can ensure that we are walking in the light, what's the second? What's that second theme that we see throughout this this book of 1 John? Well, we find that later on in chapter 2 and verses 7 through 11 where God's word says this. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. And at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So here in these verses we see John continues with that theme of following after the commandments God has given to us. To keep in line with his word and following after what he has for us. But instead of doing it in the overall general sense, he gives us a more specific one in which we are to follow. And that is to love our brother. And it's the second way that we ensure that we're walking in the path is to love one another. And if we want to walk in the light, then we must ensure that we are walking in the love of Christ. That just if we want to walk in the light, we need to walk according to the Lord's commandments. We also need to love, walk in the love of Christ. And we see John doesn't beat around the bush with this either. He says and makes it very apparent that we are called to love our brother, meaning our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, the fellow believers, that we must love them. And if we don't do so, then the love of God cannot be within us. That if we claim to hate anyone, then we cannot walk in the love that God has paved for us and shown to us. And we're walking aimlessly and blind in the darkness of this world. Now, why is this the case? There's going to be individuals we're going to run into in this life that I don't really care for their opinions, the way they live their life. Why am I called to love one another? And why is this an essential part for me to walk in the light of God? Well, John tells us in 1 John 4, 7 through 12 when he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God has been made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So John makes it very clear that the reason we're called to love one another is because God first loved us. Despite our faulty opinions that sin was greater than his love and the presence we were in. Despite our inadequacy to reach what he would have us to be. And despite our very rebellion, he looked at us and said, I still love you. So who are we to think we should showcase anything but that to our fellow believers? Despite our sin against God, he sent his only son to die for us so that we might live through him. And that should be a thing that that blows our minds in a sense. In what other time in human history or, or, or reality have we seen a king sent their only rightful heir to die for an enemy, not to make them a prisoner to them, but to make them a son and daughter, that most high king, to sit at their table with them and enjoy the fullness of his presence as a co heir and the glorious inheritance that God views us as, as his children. What would drive a king and a father to do this to their prince and to their son? The one answer is love. It's the only thing that can describe why he did this because he loved us and he was showcasing who he was through this act. And it's all in his love. John makes it clear. We didn't love him first. We rejected him. We sinned against him. We turned the other way and said, my own ways are higher than yours, and I know it's better for myself. So it's not in that we loved him first, but despite that, he still says, I loved you enough. Here's what I'm doing for you. Now come home. I loved you enough to send my son to die for you. Come home. And it's through this act that God displayed and made manifest his love among us. It's not just words that he's saying, but he showcased through actions and through the fulfillment we needed for our salvation, through the sacrifice of the lamb that was his son. And what John is saying here is that our response and inclination to the fact of what we also find in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, and the love that God lavished upon us to be called his children is to love one another. And that should be our response and our inclination to what God has done for us, to love him and to love one another. And we see that John adds throughout these verses that not only should we love one another because God first loved us, but that if we, can't, or if we do not love, we cannot know God because God, in fact, is love. And that even though we have not seen God, if we love one another and love him, his love abides in us and is perfected within us as well as we love one another. So it's very clear in the combination of all of these passages throughout this theme of 1 John to, to love one another, that if we want to walk in light and the love of God that he has for us, then we must also be willing to extend that love and showcase that love to our brothers and sisters in Christ because they are on this path with us. You see, this road we walk can often feel lonely compared to the ways of the world, but if we pick up our eyes and look around to see who's with us on this path, we realize we're truly not alone. 
Just as every Sunday when we have an individual who wants to join the church or comes forward for salvation, we have the members of this congregation stand up to showcase they are part of this family now. And as dysfunctional as we can be at times, we're still called to love one another. And build up one another with the encouraging words, just like we see Paul writes to the church of Thessalonica, to keep building up one another as you're already doing. So that should be a description and a characteristic of who we are, not something we start now, but keep doing. So we must band together as we go down this path God has for us. But not only is this something John says, because he goes through that, that argument, well, this isn't a new commandment, but it is in the things I'm adding to it. So what, what is he kind of meaning by that? Well, we see in John 13, 35, that Jesus himself tells us that the world will know we're his disciples by what? By our love for one another. So John's pointing back to his own gospel he wrote and the, the words he heard from our Savior himself that if we want this world to know we're a follower of Christ, it's more than lip service, but it's the way we live our life and the love we showcase to one another. And that's how we're called to walk in the light as he's in the light. But the question that often comes around this love that's in our world and our culture today, especially working with our students as they're in what's known as Generation Z, is this idea that if you love me, you must accept all parts of me. That if you claim to love me, you can't disagree with anything I stand for or who I am. But we see that idea is totally contrary and foreign to what we find in Scripture. We should not add anything to it. We must love God and love one another. And what we see in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, writes against this idea that the world and culture is embracing. He writes in 1 John 2, 15, 17, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So John lays it out for us very clearly here that our world is in a broken, messed up state, and sin is running rampant throughout it, and we are not called to love this darkness that we are not called to love the sin that is abounding in this world. And we see that this falls in line with the fact that we talked about the first way to ensure we're walking the light, that we are following God's commandments and living according to his word and not the ways of the world. Guys, just as oil and water cannot mix, the life of the believer should not be marked by the ways of this world. And also we should not embrace it and fully say that we support these things. The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life should not be a characteristic of who we are. And we should not embrace those ideas with open arms and love. And we also see in 1 John 3, 12 that we shouldn't be surprised when we live this way because the world hates us. That these ways of the world, when we stand up in the righteousness that God's called us to, that this world will turn against who we are. And they will hate us. 
Now, that doesn't mean we hate the individuals of this world because we see we're called to, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves to serve them and build them up. Why? Because when we showcase them the love of Christ versus the hate of this world they're showing us, they'll begin to ponder and ask questions and say, what's different about this individual? I've beat them down. I've verbally attacked them with these things, but they keep coming to me with a smile and saying, I'm praying for you. I hope you have a blessed day. And anytime I need something, they're more than willing to help me out. What's different about you? And as we showcase that love to them, but not embrace the sin they're in, then they start to understand who God is and what he's truly done for us. So yes, we love our neighbor. But no, we do not embrace their sins they commit within our life and applaud them in that. So we see in these two themes throughout the epistle of John that if we want to walk in the light as God is in the light, we need to make sure that we're living according to his word. And that we're walking in the love that he showcased us and show that to others. But the question some of you may still be wondering in this place is, why? Why should I walk? You say God's in the light, but that's just a presumed fact that you believe. Why is it I should walk with him instead of what's in this world? This world seems to satisfy me. It seems to give me what I want. And there's no regards or limitations to how I live my life. Well, the two things I just talked about, the forgiveness of our sins through Christ and the very love of God becoming your identity isn't enough for you to be convinced of why this path is the only correct one. Let me show you what John writes in 1 John 5, verses 1 through 5, when he says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands. For this is the love of God that, he, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that overcame the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except for the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? God. So again, we see John clarifying the order in which we are to follow after God, to keep his commandments, to love one another. But not only does he say, hey, here's what you need to do. Here's why you should do it. Here's the very reason as to why you are walking this path. And he tells us that this path of light is the only way to overcome the painful and distorted reality that we find ourselves in. It takes five seconds being on social media, watching the news, or just walking outside of this building to realize there is something very wrong with this reality we find ourselves in. The amount of mass shootings that are happening, the thefts, the, the, all the different sins of this world that are running rampant in our world. Something is broken within us, and so many people are without hope and without hope of what can happen for us. And they're asking, what's the point of this? Well, we can find victory in God and God alone. We need to understand there's only one way and one way for us to find victory in the defeat and brokenness that we so often feel in this world and what we see around us, and that is through faith in Christ. Just as he overcame the world, our sin, and death, we too can only overcome through the, or following the path of light which Jesus paved for us. 
You see, our sins can only be forgiven by his salvation. Our wicked ways can only truly be changed by his word. Our lives can only be transformed by his love. Our pain can only be healed by his peace. Our fear can only be comforted by his firm foundation and fortress. Our brokenness can only be mended by his binding, and our tears can only be wiped away by his triumph. He is the only place where we can find victory, and apart from Christ, there is absolutely no victory, but in him lies all the victory. So if we need a reason as to why we should walk in the light, look to the cross. Look to the empty grave. Look to the display of power and love that God showed to us and understand that this is the only life worth living and it's the life with him because he is the true life and the way for us. And that's something that's open and available for every single person in this place this morning. Just as we mentioned earlier, we have all sinned. We've all fallen short. And if you say you don't, you're making yourself and God out to be a liar. But if we're willing to confess our sins to him, he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It doesn't matter how checkered your past may look. Even if you came in this morning fighting with your spouse, wishing that there was some other way for you, there's still hope for you in this place. You could walk that path today. Just as Robert Frost was faced with that fork in the road, you're left with a choice here and now too. For those of us who are followers of Christ, we need to make sure that we're following this ways and walking that path God has for us. But for those of us who aren't in that relationship with him, you can start that here and now today. All you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. There's no magic prayer. There's no getting yourself clean or right beforehand because you can't do that on your own. It doesn't matter how desperate you may think you are or broken you may feel. God has already showed you how much he loves you. And the fact that Christ died for you before your existence was even on this planet. He's already purchased that forgiveness for you. All you have to do is extend out and reach what he's offering to you. All you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and that he is Lord and you will be saved. That's a reality we can all walk in today. Either for the first time or the thousandth time. Even if we've messed up every single day this week, his love and grace and mercy are shown new to us each and every single day, and he still has a plan for you. But the question is, which path are you going to choose to walk? While the path of darkness seems to have an allure to it, it's truly filled with blindness, deceit, and wickedness. But the path of light is truly full of truth and love and grace. And while we see that, 
it's often hard to live that out. But I encourage you today, you don't have to do that in your own strength. We're here for one another to encourage one another to keep on that path and to walk in the might and power that God has for us and fight in his strength and not our own. So the question I have for you is, which path are you taking? And is it the path that will make all the difference? Let's pray.